If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, we are going to spend our time this morning looking at one of the two strongest verses in the book of Galatians and even the book that we call the New Testament. So all the books in the New Testament. Um, We are going to look in Galatians chapter 2. And uh, that verse that we are going to spend some of our time closing out the message is in verse number 20. Before I get there, let me just do a little recap. We are in week six of a six-week series. It may get pushed next week to a seven-week series, but uh, we are in week six of a six-week series that I titled Floor Plans for the Christian Life. Weeks leading up to this one, we have seen the gospel. What is the gospel? The, The good news of Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross, him being buried, him being resurrected from the dead. The good news of the gospel. We looked at how God speaks, that he does speak. That the king of the universe speaks to you. We touched on baptism. We looked at the mission of the believer, the mission of the church, and that was the Great Commission and what we are supposed to be about. This past week, last Sunday, we looked at, I love Jesus, but do I really need the church? What's the church all about? What are we supposed to be about? That we are to love and spur one another, stir one up to good works out of Hebrews chapter 10. And this morning we find ourselves in one of Paul's letters to a church in Galatia, which is a segment of what we would know today as Turkey. He writes, In chapter 2, verse 14, down through verse 21, these words. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Okay, let's stop right there for a second. To get this whole context, you need to understand who they are and what Paul's talking about. One of the reasons I prefer to start in chapter 1 and verse 1 of a book and walk through it is that as we continue, we get the context. But with us going into this series and just going into this segment or that segment, let me tell you the context. Paul is making an argument to this church about an incident that happened with Peter. Peter and a group of individuals took the gospel to Antioch. And God showed up and changed lives. And they were there for an extended period of time. And the people in Antioch were not Jews. They were Gentiles. And Peter was acting right. He was sitting with them at a meal. He was talking with them. He was befriending them until some Jews from Jerusalem came up to check on what was going on. And as soon as that group came up, Peter changed. And Paul called him out on it. Look back in verse 14. 
When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that's Peter, before them all. So there's a whole group, and there's Paul and there's Peter, and both of them are red-faced, one because they're angry and one because of embarrassment. If you, though a Jew, you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves, we ourselves, Paul and Peter, ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, we know, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified. Here's the verse, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Heavenly Father, what a passage. What a passage for us to wrestle with this morning. What a passage that describes for us what this Christian life that you have called us to, what we are to be about, how that happens on a daily basis. What a passage to show us. God, draw us close this morning. May your word resonate through our ears, through our gray matter that you have given us. And Father, may it be applied, may action come about from me, Father, from those in this room, to bring glory and honor to you, for you alone are worthy of that glory. You alone are worthy of that honor. God, would you speak? From your word, would you challenge, would you encourage, Father, would you... Bring up segments of our lives that need confession, repentance. Because that's who you are. You are one who forgives. So Father, may we be drawn close to you this morning and may we hear from you, from your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. What's the Christian life? What's the Christian life supposed to be like on a daily basis? What, what are, 
what are the activities, what are the attitudes, the actions, what are the things that you are supposed to be about if you state, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. He, he is my Lord. I have accepted him as my Savior. I believe that he died for me. He took my place on the cross, paid for my sin. If that is you, What's our life supposed to be like? The first item that I believe this passage teaches us about the Christian life is this, that the Christian life is to be lived out in unity. The Christian life is to be lived out in unity. There is a community of believers that Paul is writing to. They are called the Galatians. They are from a segment of what I stated, Turkey, and they had some issues. I know it's not like Hernando, but they had some issues. And here was their main issue. If you read the book of Galatians, all six chapters, if you read it, Here's the issue. The issue is, I believe in Jesus, but I really like that old way of life, so I want to go back and I want to live like I didn't believe in Jesus and hold to all those checklists of laws. And Paul writes and says, how's that working out for you? You say... I'm not going to point at anybody in here, but let's just point at everybody. Maybe some of you say, if I just had a checklist, if I just had a checklist of yes, you can do this, and no, you can't do this, I would be so happy. Really? When you get down to about 633 of them, that's the Old Testament laws. 633 of them. Do you remember 428? How about 72? Do you remember that one? Let's make it easy. Do you remember the third one? If we got 10 commandments, do you remember the third one? How about the seventh one? Tenth one? Now, you and I grew up in a culture where we did not study the word like the Jewish culture. By the time a Jewish boy, and more than likely girls as well, in the home, because that's where they studied, but by the time a Jewish boy was two and a half, he knew Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, is something called the Shema. It is where the first command is given. You shall love the Lord your God with everything. Knew it. By the time they got out of school, what we would call high school, they knew the first five books of the law. Question. Anybody that loves, let's just pick on the Dallas Cowboys for a moment. Do you know their record? Do you know the completion percentage of Dak Prescott? Do you know the number of yards that Ezekiel uh, Elliot has run far. Do you know that he's the leading rusher for the NFL right now? Do you know that they need a wide receiver and a second wide receiver? Do you know all these facts about said team? Ladies, do you know the, the newest craze on the runways? Do you know what you like and what designer it is? 
he or she is. We know things. They knew things. And this group of people in Galatia had decided. They had heard some bad news. They had listened to some wrong people. And in that, they kind of got sidetracked. And Paul came along to say, hey, let's get back on the right track. The Christian life is to be lived out in unity. In trying to describe this to those in Galatia, he brings up to them this incident that happened between him and Peter. How would you like it if you were on the wrong side of this incident? To be called out in front of everyone. You're like, Brian, I didn't think we were supposed to judge. See, you know a Bible verse. There you go. Understand this, though. Here is the infancy of the church in a new culture. It has just broken through the barrier between Jews and Gentiles, and it is trying to get sidetracked. And Paul, by God's command, does not want this to happen. And so he calls out his brother, Peter. And he does so in front of everyone to state to them, hey, we're supposed to be in this together. It's not those who have on this side and those who have not on that side. It's not those who were born in this way on that side and those who were born in a different way on the other side. Have you ever found yourself acting one way? And when somebody shows up, you begin to act differently. I remember in college, this happened to me. I was in a group, and there was one individual. This time it was not me, but there was one individual, and every time that he hung out with a certain group, vocabulary changed. He took words out of his vocabulary because two individuals stood around him. Two individuals sat with him at a table. But when those two individuals weren't there, there were a lot of symbols in his vocabulary. Y'all know what I'm saying? There was some cussing going on in his vocabulary. But if these two people showed up, one or the other showed up, or both of them showed up, he was the cleanest talker that there ever was. Maybe that doesn't happen at, just remembering back to college, maybe that happens to you at the job site, at the workplace. And maybe it's not that things are cleaned up, but because you are at this setting, you just act this way. Maybe it's not even a job site or at the house, but maybe it's a Monday through Saturday. It is this way, and then Sunday, oh, we got our Sunday clothes on, we got our Sunday smile on, and we come and we act differently when we walk in this place. Paul's argument to these at Galatia is twofold about their unity. Okay? He gives the illustration of an outward unity, but there is also an inward unity that you and I must deal with. You and I must not be a divided person. We must not act one way at one segment in one part of our lives and act a different way at another segment or part of our lives. We must be united 
in this Christian life. But also, we must be united with others. As Jesus states in the Gospels, if a kingdom is divided against itself, it cannot stand. And if the church is against the church, it will not progress. Second, we see not only the first item that the Christian life is one that is to be lived in unity, but the second is this. The Christian life begins at justification. Now, I, before I get to these slides, I know that I normally don't come up here and give you some quotes. I couldn't pass on any of the three. So we have three quotes in this item. The Christian life begins at justification. The first was a quote by Tim Keller defining justification. Justification or being justified is this. To justify something does not mean to change something. It does not mean to change the thing, but change our view of the thing. When you justify something, you don't change it. You change the view of it. Let me give you an illustration of that. I read a story of, um, of an incident that happened in a high school. Incident that happened in a high school was this. In between classes, there were two students. They were in the 11th grade. And, and as one was walking down the hall, he looked and saw the other. The other had his hands in his jacket. And he saw one hand, this right hand, about to pull out. And as it was pulling out, he saw the, the butt of a gun. Nobody else saw it. And this one student who saw what was about, he, he just knew what was about to happen. He went up and I mean, he just decked the guy. He hit him right on the jaw. It was UFC and they just, he just fell out cold. It, it, it was over. Teachers came running across the hall, saw the, the guy who decked him, pulled him aside. I mean, he was on top of him and he was talking, but they were not allowing their ears to hear what he was saying. They're saying, you are expelled. You're going straight to the principal's office. Somebody call the cops. Come out and take him away. And as they were leading him down the hall, they finally calmed down enough to hear what he was saying. Check his pocket. See what his hand's around. Check his pocket. See what his hand's around. And when they did that, they saw the gun. That's justification. You're like, what's justification? The kid who decked him did not say, oh, I didn't do it. The kid who decked him didn't say, oh, that wasn't me. The kid said, no, I did it. I'm not changing the action. But if I wouldn't have done it, Here's what would have happened. Justification, spiritually speaking, is this. You and I are justified in God's eyes, in His eyes, when He looks at you as a believer. When He looks at us, He looks at us through the lens of Jesus' blood, or He looks at us through the blood of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He came and lived a sinless life. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross, not because of anything that He did, but because of everything that you and I did. He paid the price for your sin and my sin. And when you and I accept that, 
the way God looks at us is different. Not because we have not sinned, but He looks at you as if you have never sinned. To be justified, as it is stated, is to justify something does not mean to change something. It means that you look at it differently. And that is exactly what God has done. Justification. This student that I just told you the story of, this student didn't dismiss it. He took full ownership of it, but he was justified because of the possible action that was coming. You and I have been justified. Look there in verse number 15. Look what the passage states. We ourselves, excuse me, yes, we are Jews. We're Jews by nature, not sinners among these Gentiles. Nevertheless, verse 16, nevertheless, you know that a person is not justified by works. They're not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. The Christian life begins at justification. Martin Luther stated it this way. Speaking of justification, he brings up the term Christian righteousness. God imputes, meaning this, God gives you, He he gives this to you. He imputes, he, He makes this you. God imputes it to us apart from our works. In other words, it is passive righteousness. Oh, that's a huge term right there. Passive righteousness. As the others are active. If, if I tried to fulfill the law myself, I could not trust in what I had accomplished. Neither could it stand up to the judgment of God. So I rest, I rest only upon the righteousness of Christ, which I do not produce, but receive. God the Father freely giving it to us through Jesus Christ. We're not going to take a whole semester of Greek class, okay? But understand this word. When you see that word justified in Galatians chapter 2, it's there multiple times. When you see it, it is a past action and it is a pa- it's in a passive tense, which means this. It's already happened, but it has continuing promises because they're good in this sense. If it was in a negative sense, there it's a past action with a continuing consequences. But there is a past action that has happened to you. And it's nothing that you did. It was acted upon you. God did this for you. So if the item in front of us is that justification is the beginning of the Christian life, what are you and I to do? Do we just chalk it up and go live however we want to live? Do we just chalk it up and then go try our best to hold to all those do's and don'ts? That was the fault of the Galatians. They were chalking it up, and then they were trying to go back and live like they were still under the law. 
And Paul is like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. Don't do that. So Brian, what are we supposed to do? Rest. No, I want to do it myself. That's our problem. No, I want to add to what's already been done. That's also our problem. Just rest. You have been justified. Sir, ma'am, if you have bowed the knee, if you have confessed with your mouth, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He is your Savior, rest. It's the hardest thing to do. It's the simplest thing commanded of you and me to do. The Christian life begins with justification. Richard Hooker wrote these words concerning that. Such are we in the sight of God the Father, as is the very Son of God Himself. Do you see the statement? God looks at you, Christian, the same way He looks at His Son. When He looks at you, He sees Jesus. When He sees Jesus, He sees Jesus. When He looks at you, He sees Jesus. The same way that He looks at Jesus, He looks at you as a Christian. Let it be counted as folly or frenzy or fury whatsoever. It is our comfort and our wisdom. We care for no knowledge in the world but this, that man hath sinned. Oh, this is good. Man hath sinned and God hath suffered, that God hath made himself the sin of man and that men are made the righteousness of God. Don't pass that quote too quick. God suffered because of you. Because of me, He suffered. Because of my attitudes, He suffered. Because of my words, He suffered. Because of my actions, He suffered. Because of your attitudes and words, your actions, He suffered. But instead of counting it against you and me, He took your place. He loved you. He loved me. He stretched out His arms and He died for you and He died for me. And not only did He die for us, not only did He make Himself the sin of man, but He made you righteous. It's not that he's working on you to get you righteous. No, he made you righteous in his eyes. You, sir, are righteous. No, I sinned this past week. I sinned this morning. Yep. Guess what? If he lets you live next week, you're going to sin next week. Guarantee it. But he has made you in his eyes. He has made you righteous. 
when you bowed the knee and you accepted Christ as Savior and Lord. You were justified. Nothing's going to change that. Nothing changes that. You can't do anything to make you look better in His sight. You can't do anything to make you look worse in His sight because you are justified in His sight. Which leads us to a third item concerning the Christian life. An item that you and I need to get right today. The Christian life is a dead life. Christian life is all about unity. It's the unity on the inside and unity with brothers on the outside. It begins with justification when God changes us and he looks at us differently. And the Christian life is a dead life. Paul writes it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Christian life today, sir, ma'am, is a dead life. When you accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, something changed in you. Something changed in me. You died. All your rights that you thought you had as an individual, done away. All your wants, your desires, not yours anymore because you are not your master now what we don't understand before salvation what we don't understand even then we're not our own master before salvation you and i were and i would say in the room this size some still are you are slaves to this world you are slaves to sin And that is your master. If you do not know Christ, you have a master. It is sin and the things of this world. Jesus died to break those chains. Jesus died so that you would not, sir or ma'am, student, adult, that you would not any longer, you would no longer have to be a slave to that. But once you receive Christ, you are now a slave to him. So it's not that you were free and now you are a slave as a Christian. You were a slave to a different master before salvation. Once you have been saved, justified, you are now a slave to a different master and that master being Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. I'm not my own, Paul's stating. You're not your own. 
I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this life that I'm living on a daily basis, this life that I'm living in the flesh on a Sunday, October 2018, this life that I'm now living this week, I'm living by faith. I'm living by faith because of who's in me. Which means this, when you go to that meeting and you're like, I don't know what in the world I'm going to say. He's going to ask me to do something that I know is against God's law. This week it's going to happen. You rest and you know who's living inside of you. And you speak what he wants you to say. Oh, but I got bills. Exactly. And you trust. You trust that the king of the universe will take care of you. Yeah, but you don't know. My spouse is this way. I I know. You know why I know? Because I have a spouse and she says the same thing about me over certain things. I can't believe you think that, Brian. I can't believe you said that. Do you really? You know why? Because sometimes we don't rest. Because sometimes we don't live dead. And when you and I don't live dead, you and I don't do what God wants us to do. The Christian life is a dead life. Whether it's in school students, whether it's in the office or at the house or in leisure, the Christian life for every single one of us is a dead life. We are dead to self. We are dead to the, the rights that we believe that we have. We are dead to the desires and the wants that come up as a man or a woman, as a youth or an adult. We are dead. We're dead to self. Sin no longer has reign over us. The life that we now live, we live by faith. We live it by faith in the Son of God who loved us. We live it by faith in the Son of God who gave Himself up for us. And he closes out the segment in verse 21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Christ died for no purpose. Brian, I thought you were going to tell us how we were to live today. Brian, I thought that this passage dealt with the Christian life. Here's the Christian life. You're not your own. You're His. And your Master, Lord Jesus, says, here's how I want you to live. Every other act of creation lives the way the Master set out for it to live. The sun sits in the center of our universe. And it sits there and we rotate around it. Could you just imagine the sun saying to God, I don't want to sit here any longer, Lord. 
I want to rotate around the moon. No, you sit there. You're the sun. And it sits there. The oak tree planted in the ground grows up. And the creator of that oak tree says, stand tall and strong, oak tree. No, I don't. I want to walk around the park. Nope. You're an oak tree. And it stands there. The dog barks because God gave the dog a barking voice. I really want a meow. Nope, you're a dog. And it barks. Why then? When he says, hey Brian, I want you to do this. Why then do you think that I am no different than an oak tree? The sun or a dog? He is master and he is Lord. I am His. Therefore, I must do what He commanded me to do. And the same is true for you. Or, you can go through this life and you can say, you know what, I don't want God commanding me to do what I want to do. And He will say, if that's what you want, that's fine. You don't want me to command you to do what to do? Then you can spend an eternity away from me. That's what you want? There it is. Those are your options. Oh, not a loving God. Oh, yeah. A loving God who didn't create you a robot, didn't create me a robot, but says, here, I have the very best for you. If you don't want that, then there's the other option. The Christian life is different. It's different than all those that don't know Christ. There's a difference on the inside. And there's a difference on the outside. Connect leaders are going to talk about that in Connect as they walk through this passage and they walk through this topic. But there's a difference. And that difference is lived out day after day after day day. Heavenly Father, we come to you. Father, for some in this room, it is, it is foreign to think about what was spoken in the moments before this prayer. Father, it, it's hard to comprehend that you've done everything for us. It's hard to comprehend that you just desire for us to rest in you. God, we want to work. We, we want to do something. We want to be a part of this. God, what you are calling us to do, those are some of the things that we are, are going against because we would rather do something else. Father, for those of us who know You this morning, who know You as Savior and Lord, God, would You speak to us and, and show us where we're trying to do things that You don't want us to do. You, you haven't called us to do that. But to refocus our attention, Father, on what You have called us to do and who You have called us to be. 
Father, for those that are in this room, Lord, you know where every single one of us stand in relation with you. In, in our relationship, if we have a relationship, if we're playing a game, if we don't have a relationship, you know where we stand. God, I ask that you would use this word this morning from Galatians chapter 2. Understanding justification, understanding the beginning of the Christian life. God, that that would quicken us. That would open our minds and our hearts to see where we are in relationship with you. Sir, if you don't know him today, I pray that you would come and talk with me. Let me talk to you about Jesus. Ma'am, if you don't know him today, come and talk with me. If you don't know him, he loves you and has done so much for you. During this time of response, during this time of invitation, if you want to stay seated, you stay seated. If you want to stand up and sing, you stand up and sing. But respond to Him. Every single one of us respond to Him this morning. God, would Your Spirit rule and reign in this place? Would Your Spirit rule and reign in our hearts? Draw us to You. You are the one who seeks and saves the lost. You came for sinners like me. Would You come? And would we obey in Christ's name?